on in our, in our The Pursuit of Joy series. And we are going to be looking at this thing of formation and how we are formed into the likeness of Jesus through our community. So being part of Christchurch, being part of this Christian community. Um, we're going to look at how do we strengthen, challenge, encourage each other. And what does it take to fully enter into the joy that it is to be part of a Christian community? And to enjoy this theme of community, I found a video from, that Facebook made, which is basically what is, they asked a load of people from around the world, what do you think community is? Um, so I'm going to play that. But Facebook can arguably be one of the biggest creators of community in the world. Most of the people in the world are on Facebook. It also could be the biggest destroyer of community in the world. Um, meaningful community anyway, but you can argue about that a bit later. Um, so we're going to watch this little video. Um, it's fun. I love that in the whole video, there's not one phone in there at all. Um, but yeah, I think I love watching that video of all the different people expressing what they think community is. And like, we know the meaning of community is really vast, but some of the common threads from that video were that, was that it was about family, it was about love, it was about mutual understanding, it was about being part of something bigger than what we are. Um, and community is something we have to really fight for. Like I mentioned a bit with phones and like the kind of digital culture we're in. But um, in our culture, it screams that we all have to be self-reliant, that we should be, have our S together, that we should be like on it all the time, that we shouldn't admit our weaknesses and our struggles. Um, it's something we have to fight for. And I think for us as Christchurch, that's not a message that we want to send to each other or to our town, that we don't want to be afraid to admit our weaknesses. We want to be a church that fosters really strong community where we can all be ourselves and we're all so different in this place but we can all be ourselves and know that we are bound together by our love for each other and our love for Jesus and we can take our example of how being a community makes us more like Jesus from Jesus himself he's cool he does that kind of stuff um, and if you think about when Jesus first called his disciples he calls two guys called Simon Peter and Andrew and they are brothers and they are both fishermen and then a couple of verses later, he calls another two brothers called, I always forget their names, James and John. Yes. And he says to them in the, in the middle of these verses, he says, says it to Simon Peter and Andrew, come follow me, Jesus said, I will send you out to fish for people. And you've probably heard that phrase quite a lot. And it's like a cheesy thing Jesus does where the fishermen, so I'm going to bring fish into it. Um, but actually, skip it back, Mike, you've done the, go back. Yeah, it's fine. Um, Actually, in that culture, fishers of men or fishers of people actually were like referred to like rabbis and teachers and wise people. So really what Jesus was saying was, come, follow me, and I will make you like me. So it wasn't just this cheesy thing of like, I'm trying to entice the fishermen and I'll make them fish of people. Actually, he was saying to them, I will make you like me if you give up everything and follow me. And so we see that from the start of Jesus' ministry, that he was calling people into the commun into community to do it together, that they would learn and follow him, but they wouldn't do it by themselves, they would do it as a group, and they would learn from each other and learn from Jesus. And he's still doing it today through the church, he's doing it through us, that he brings us together so that we can reflect him to the world. And the three things that I want to bring to us today, and the three things are, and they're super simple, but it's that we are better together that we are called to challenge and to form each other, and that we need to let God create and form our community. The first thing, we are better together. Does anyone like that Jack Johnson song? 
How does it go? Ooh, it's a weird, weird, yeah, good song. Um, so when I was thinking about this, I, was, I, was totally, I totally forgot about these verses, but I was reminded of these verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And it's like a book, which is a, is a, pro, is a prophecy, but it says this. I was a bear with it. It says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? What keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And you might have heard that at a wedding before. A lot of people have it at their wedding. Um, so you can kind of easily dismiss it and like romanticize it as this like amazing picture of marriage, and it is, but it's also much more general. Like it has such a message to speak to us as a community today. So the passage speaks about at the, at the start, it's about a man who's working super, super, super hard. And he asks himself, why am I doing this? Who am I even doing this, all this work for? He's not content with the life that he's created for himself. And the key here is that it's himself, that he's created this life for him, and he doesn't have anyone to share it with. And it then goes on to teach that two are better than one. And it begins this list. I love that picture. It's so cute. It's a picture of two identical twins. I literally just Googled, cute identical twins. Um, and that came up. I thought it was very cute. Um, but yeah, two are better than one. And it begins this list of what are the benefits of living life with someone else. And it says this. That it makes us more profitable, that it means we always have someone to help us up when we fall over. It means we have someone to keep us warm. It means we have someone to help defend us. And they're quite specific things. If you think of them in more general terms, with like all the connotations and thoughts around those things, that really encompasses what true friendship and true community is like. It's not just for those married people. <laughs> this passage tells us that we're not meant to live alone and that being lonely leads to discontentment. But no matter how hard we work, that what matters the most and what brings us joy is that the people that we get to share our lives with. And then we think of the last line. The passage goes from speaking about two people to three, and it says that a cord of three is not quickly broken. And many people say that the third cord in that relationship is God, and that when we bring God into our relationships, he brings us the strength to stick with one another and to persevere. And these are the kind of relationships that we want to live in in our community, that our friendships would be bound together by the presence of God, which would help us to love each other with no conditions, just like Jesus does. And I want to have friendships like this. I don't want to be working alone just to build my own life. So how do we have these, have these relationships? The key is vulnerability. We will never achieve true friendship, which forms into the likeness of Jesus, if we're not willing to be vulnerable with each other. Being able to be honest and open about our lives is really hard, and I know that. And any opportunity to be vulnerable comes with a risk. It's what if the other person judges me? What if they reject me? What if they don't understand what I'm saying? And the risk can feel really huge, and it can become this like big wall between us and the community that God has designed us to be part of. It can be a wall between us and the friendships that we want to have and the relationships we want to go deeper in. 
And when we talk about vulnerability, she's on the screen, um, we can't me not mention the queen of vulnerability, Brené Brown. If you haven't heard of her, she's this amazing, amazing, super clever, super just an amazing community, amazing communicator. Um, and she did this talk on, he was on like TED Talks, it's called The Power of Vulnerability. A lot of you might have seen it, it went really viral when she first did it. Um, but it's incredible. So if you haven't watched it, have a little YouTube later. Um, it's really, really good. And she says this about vulnerability. She says, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness. And when we think about being vulnerable, I think we often think of that we're being weak or we are admitting our struggles. But Brenny flips this on its head and she says, actually, being vulnerable takes courage. It takes strength to be vulnerable with each other. It's actually one of the most strong things we can do in relationship with one another is be vulnerable and take that risk. And I find this quite hard. Um, and when I, I realized that when I was going through this process of like whether they were going to choose me if I could come, become a vicar and all that kind of stuff, I had to do a lot of like vulnerable things and open up to people and like, yeah, bare my soul. But anyway, one of the things I had to do, which was quite grueling, was I had to ask three people that know me really well, two of them are in the room, um, three people that know me really well, and I had to get them to write down what they think my strengths and weaknesses are, like as a person, like as Beth Resch, like not, nothing to do with my work, just like as me, what do you actually think of me, strengths and weaknesses. And um, I gave them the piece of paper and I was like, just don't gloss over anything, like be really honest or inside. I was like, oh, what are they going to say? Um, and they gave them me back and I collected them in and I started reading them. And for most of them, I wasn't surprised. It felt like looking into a mirror, which is quite nice if your friends like know you that well. But one of my best friends wrote this. She said, it'll come up on the screen. I would encourage Bethan to process difficulties or concerns more willingly with those who are available and able to be of use. Bethan is strong and resilient, but could grow in practicing vulnerability and not allowing worries to build up over time. When I read that, I was like, oh, <laughs> cut me to the core. But I actually think, and I was like, oh, I think I'm really good at being open and like, honest with people, like, especially with my best friends. Like, I thought that was something I was quite good at. And, but I think the, like, it wasn't like a hurtful challenge. It was like one of those things I was like, I feel like there's a bit of truth in that. And so I like reflect on it a bit, and I actually realise that I'm quite good at being open and honest to like a certain extent, um, and I'm like willing to let people in like to some parts of myself. But I think there's like a line, and I'm like not willing to go past that, even with people that I love sometimes, um, which is hard, and it's something that I really need to work on. And I think it's about control as well. I think you like have a line, and beyond that line, you're like that feels out of control if I let that person into that part. And so I've been on a bit of a journey with allowing myself to be vulnerable and allowing to, like, people to know what my weaknesses are and, like, my downfalls. Because I just know it's worth the risk and that, like, I always feel so connected with people when I've took that risk. And Brené says, good old Brené, she says, staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection. And I think it's so true, like, the best conversations that I have with people is when we're just not holding anything back and we're, like, 100% ourselves. And we're thinking of community in terms of that three core that can't be easily broken. Vulnerability is one of those things that like strengthens that cord. And we're so much better when we're together and we can do that in community. Secondly, we are called to challenge and to form one another. And I was again, one of the verses that sprung to mind when I was thinking about this talk was um, that one in Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says this, 
As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. To be in a community that works really well, we need to be really comfortable and empowered to challenge each other and sharpen each other. Just like my friend did to me, that she challenged me on my lack of vulnerability, she spotted something in me that I was totally blind to. And I'm so thankful she did because now I want to be better at that because I know that it's so worth it for a genuine community. And again, it's a really brave thing to do. Like it's not, people don't really like it sometimes when you challenge someone something that they're blind to in their own lives. But I think if we want to become more and more like Jesus, it's such an essential thing. And these places in these communities so that we can do that for each other. We can be those people that out of love, we point each other towards Jesus and to the way of life that he calls us to live. And I think out of love is the key thing here, that we don't challenge each other to be annoying or self-righteous or um, hurtful, but we actually want to do it because we love each other and we want, we want the best for each other. And we can sharpen each other in so many different ways, whether that's praying together, whether it's giving advice, or whether it's just spending time together, whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's going out for coffee, whether we just want to encourage each other. There's so many ways that we can like, actually intentionally do that with each other. Our community is one of the ways in which we learn to be like Jesus. When we spend time together, we have to be, we surrender to each other and we learn how to forgive and how to pray and how to be patient and how to not always get what we want. It's one of the things that sharpens us with being in a community with lots of different kinds of people. So far we've been thinking about that we are better together and that we are called to challenge and to form each other, being the iron that sharpens iron. And lastly, I want to think about the need for God to, for, to let God create and form our community, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, that actually it's God's job to form our community. In the last couple of weeks, I've been reading a bit of this book called Life Together by a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he's a theologian, he's a super cool guy, I don't know lots about him, but I know he's good. <laughs> and, he wrote, and he writes this thing about community, and it really challenged me. When I read it, I was like, Ugh. you know, one of those like, moments where you feel so challenged. Um, and it really stopped me in my tracks, and it says this. I'm going to read it a couple of times. It says, Every human wish dream that is injected into Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. I'm going to read it again. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. And I just, I just don't think I'd ever thought about that. And I read that and I was like, wow, like that really challenged me and my idea of church and what I think it should be like. Because we all come to church and to community with our idealistic dream of what we think it will be like, what the worship will be like, what coffee we'll have, what Bible we'll read, how many times we'll do communion, how the kids' ministry will run. Like, we all have this list. Like, I definitely have one. <laughs> and it's been highlighted to me really strongly the past week um, of what my list is. And if we're honest, I think that list looks so much like ourselves. It's basically like looking into a mirror when we think about what our list is. But Christian community isn't a mirror. It doesn't reflect us, and it doesn't reflect our own desires. And that's a really good thing. I think we can be a bit disheartened, but don't be disheartened. It's a good thing. Because the less that we cling on to our dreams, our imagination of what we think Christian community should be like, 
the more space we give God to shape and to form us into what he wants us to be like so that we can bring him glory through how he has created us to be. And letting go of these dreams takes compromise, it takes sacrifice, and it values others above ourselves, it's a hard thing to do. But we must be willing to let God take the lead on this and to let him form our community as he wants it to be. I want to tell a story about um, a community I was part of when I was a teenager, um, which I think reflects a bit of what I've just talked about. <laughs> so this is Sue, the, the older lady is Sue, and that's me looking basically the same as I do now. <laughs> but I think I was about 15 in that picture, um, and a couple of other girls who were in this group as well. And basically what happened was, when I was a teenager, I was part of this little life group that met on a Monday night, and it was in Sue's house. Sue's about 60. She was great for 60, doesn't she? But she's about 60. And she would open her house on a Monday evening from like the time school finished to like half nine at night. And we would kind of like drift into her house and we would like eat all of her food. And we would sit on her sofa and make an absolute mess of her house. And we'd watch TV and we'd chat with each other. And then she would make this massive dinner for about seven of us and her husband poor guy and it was just all teenage girls and we were loud and we were rowdy and then when it got time for our like bible study bit her husband was like banished upstairs and we'd um sit in her lounge in her posh lounge and um and talk about the bible together and we were annoying we were so annoying and we used to argue about what we thought the bible said and like that sue was wrong and that we thought better and like, it was a chaotic kind of, like, hour of that Bible study time. And, like, I don't think I realized the sacrifice that she made to give us that community. She sacrificed, like, every Monday night. I was part of the group for six years, and she still does it now with, like, a bunch of teenage girls on a Monday night. And she cooks food. Like, it's just ridiculous. She's an amazing woman. But she, like, recognized that, actually, the Christian community wasn't all about her and that she had to, like, compromise and, like, be, like, move a bit so that we could, like, she could invest in us. And I'm so, so thankful for her sacrifice and that it wasn't convenient for her and that she was probably frustrated and tired some days and she probably didn't want to have a house full of rowdy teenage girls. But what God was doing in that group of people was incredible. And, like, for a lot of us, like, we're still following Jesus to this day. And it was such, like, a formational time for us that we spent with this random woman from our church that was just willing to open the door and to listen to us. I'm wrapping this up. I want to call us into action this morning and to make some of the things I've talked about a reality in our lives. And the most obvious thing to do is something that Dizzy's already talked about, but is to join a life group. It's such an easy way to be able to practice some of this stuff that I've just talked about, to be part of an intentional community um, in something bigger, but life groups will be really small. And you can practice being vulnerable with one another and opening up to people that you might not know as well. We can practice challenging each other and being the iron that sharpens each other. And we can practice giving up our idealistic dreams of what we think a life group should look like. <laughs> and to be part of a life group, all it takes is showing up. Like That's like the number one thing. It's just you have to go. <laughs> and being committed to sharing life with a bunch of people that are all different ages and at different stages of life. And committing to showing up even when you get a better offer, when your friends invite you out for dinner, you're actually like, oh, actually, I've got life group tonight. And you might not always feel like doing it, like going out on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night. It's not always convenient. But actually, the benefit of spending life together, like every single week, with a bunch of people and like 
chatting about what your lives, what you're doing and following Jesus together like week after week after week is absolutely incredible. And like, I'm sure a lot of us have already experienced that in our own lives. And I think it's really exciting that we're going to like start this journey together. So if you want to join one, as you said, there's the little card things down there with pens. If you want to do that, sign up. I think you have to tick two that you want to be part of, put your name on, and then Andy will get in contact this week about which one you're in. But um, yeah, that is like the number one thing I think is cool from today to take away is to join a life group. And just to recap, what we talked about is that first, that we are better together, that two is better than one, but three is the best <laughs> when God's in there. And that second, we are called to challenge and form each other, that we are iron that sharpens iron. We don't just let each other go blunt, that actually we sharpen each other and we're not afraid to challenge and empower one another. And we do that out of love. And thirdly, that we need to let God create and form our community, that it's his job, it's not our job, because we all come with different expectations, but actually we need to lay them aside and let God shape and create us to what he wants us to be.